0: Hey, 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 welcome to the Pastor Duke podcast. I have a blessing for you today. We're going to tell a preacher story out of the ministry of a Temple Baptist Church, now Church at Newtown Road. God raised up young men and women who... He put a fire in their heart to go into ministry, and today I uh, have one of what we would affectionately call one of m- our preacher boys out of Temple Baptist Church, Pastor Larry De Novo. Mm-hmm. and uh, what a story it is. It's going to intertwine. Uh, it's a lot more than just a preacher gets saved and called to preach, but it affected our families very close and it's a story only God could write and I'm glad to share it with you today welcome pastor Larry introduce
1: yourself and tell us a little bit how you came to know Jesus <laughs> hey well it's a real joy to be on your podcast pastor Duke and uh, we have a lot of history I guess we'll have to be very selective on the history we choose to speak about but uh, I first met you uh, back in 1980 uh, when I first uh, was invited to temple Baptist church to give you a little bit of background on my conversion to Jesus Christ. Um, I was born and raised Roman Catholic, uh, I'm full hundred percent Sicilian. So <laughs> kind of gives you a little bit of my ethnic background, but, uh, raised in the Catholic church, was an altar boy, went to parochial schools for a while. Then I went to, uh, then I went to a public high school and, uh, Took uh, civil engineering at the University of Buffalo, got my degree there. And in a way, uh, got an indoctrinated into, into secular humanism. And uh, from a Roman Catholic, I kind of turned into being agnostic. Um, I questioned the belief of God, the existence of God. But uh, once I got my degree, I was going to go into uh, engineering. But uh, my brother, who took my dad's rubbish business over, Needed my help. I worked with them for a summer. And then after working for them three months, I decided this, I can make a good living here. I kind of enjoyed doing this. So instead of pursuing an engineering degree, I went into the business with my brother. We became partners. And I did that for uh, 11 years with him and jointly uh, in the process of all that. Um, I... uh, Again, I was poisoned, in a sense, for my education, um, did not go to church uh, and uh, question the existence of God. Church tried to find happiness.
0: Typical worldling. Uh, we thought you were a GQ guy when you first walked <laughs> into our church. I want to interject here. We uh, had met a guy, I had met a guy knocking doors, and uh, he was a mess, and uh, I'm not ready to come to church yet. And he said, but when I am ready, I'll come to your church in the basement of a bank. (laughs) A year later, this guy shows up, Doug Miller, and he was gloriously saved. And he was a mess. And he worked for uh, Sam's Disposal Service in Albany, New York. And he said, pray for my boss. So we have this in our mind, the rubbish business. A mogul is going to come maybe someday <laughs> and visit our church. So we had this uh, stereotype in our mind five foot four, 295 pounds, a couple teeth missing, cigar hanging under his lower lip. And uh, that's what we thought when we thought of the rubbish business uh, boss. And in walks what we call behind your back, Larry, the Italian stallion. It looks like Sylvester Stallone, (laughs) GQ magazine. He was, uh, well-groomed and, uh, educated and articulate. He wasn't at all what we expected. So tell us a little bit about, uh, getting invited out to church and what that looked like from (laughs) your perspective, because it was fun on our end.
1: You know, well, first of all, you're making me look a whole lot better than I truly was. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Doug Miller was uh, very, very pivotal, you know, in my conversion to the Lord Jesus. Um, He worked for me as a truck driver and I had very little respect for Doug. And he's probably listening to this podcast, but he knows the reality of it at the time. Um, I saw him as kind of um, he was married. He had he had children. And I, looked, I didn't respect him as a husband. I did not respect him as a father. And he was kind of an, a lousy employee at the time, to be honest with you. But I saw a real turnaround in his life. And uh, I see saw him come to work, and um, he put his heart into it. Uh, he used to bring his Bible to work, and uh, he used to call his wife uh, on break. And I saw him become, uh, from an unfaithful husband to a faithful husband, and from going from an irresponsible father to a responsible father. And Doug was not only a good truck driver, he also was good at mechanics, and he sometimes would help me work on the trucks. And while we were doing working together, he would share um, his experience, his conversion to Jesus Christ, and he would ask me questions like, do you know if you were to die today, if you'd go to heaven? And I thought, wow, I don't know the answer to that question because I really question the existence of God. But this, but he was fully persuaded um, with where he was heading. And I was kind of stumped with the question and I kind of embarrassed because I thought I ought to know the answer to that question. But nonetheless, I kind of uh, ignored the question and just talked, trying to change the subject. But he kept on sharing with me and improving himself as an employee. And uh, there was a special occasion where he could invite me to Temple Baptist Church, the church he was going to. Um, And uh, I took him up on the offer. I didn't want to disappoint him, so I attended the church. It wasn't really a, I was looking at the church as a building, and it was the uh, temple met in the basement of a key bank. Uh, That was back in 1980. Uh, There was probably 30 to 35 people in attendance, and he introduced me to his pastor, and this guy looked like a grown-up Ernie uh, from My Three Sons. You know, he parted his hair in the middle and had a mustache, and... um,
0: (laughs) I wish no Sylvester Stallone, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, Okay,
1: so... uh, I remember
0: what you asked you came up to me and we were shocked that you were the uh, his boss and said I came to find out what happened to Doug Miller mm. and uh, so pick it up from there
1: yeah well first of all I, I was trying to i was kind of enamored with the atmosphere of the church and uh, the people were friendly they had joy i'm used to a roman catholic background with their statues and their high orthodox music and but uh, they began to sing hymns and but uh, you, Pastor Duke, were uh, piqued my interest because I don't even remember what you preached on, but you were very excited about what you were preaching about. And it's funny, as you were up there speaking, uh, I I said to myself, you know, this guy knows what he believes. And he knows why he believes what he believes. And then I kind of asked myself, do you know what you believe? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was kind of like... Um, uh, the inspiration to try to search for what I truly did believe about God, is there a God, and so, so on. But uh, to make a long story short, um, I uh, you know, I, I had credibility in you as a pastor at that time, and there was enough interest in me to want to come back. So I ended up going back to church. And they had, even for a little church, they had a... T- a four by eight table in the back with a library. And there was a book back there. It was called the Bible, uh, the Bible and science by Dr. Henry Morris. I remember putting the book on the shelf. Yep. And, uh, I thought that'd be an interesting book to read because I'm still kind of an agnostic. Um, so I checked out the book. It was February 7th. I remember the date I checked it out, February 7th, 1980. Um, checked it out, and I started reading. It was a paperback book, about 170 pages, very easy read. Uh, But I looked at, now Dr. Henry Morris was the author of that book, and I looked at his credentials, and he was the dean of civil engineering uh, at Virginia Polytech Institute. I thought, oh, this guy's a civil engineer. So I thought it was worth uh, worthy to read it. And as I began to read about it, he began to, uh, challenge my thinking on creation versus, you know, evolution, um, and he began to give the the theory of what the theory of creation is and the theory of uh, evolution was, and the scientific data that supported each theory. And there really was not much to support the theory of evolution. And uh, I kind what I did is it was a, like uh, a floodlight opening experience for my mind because I recognized that evolution was a myth. It was a lie. And I no longer, I chose no longer to believe that lie. And there was only one other alternative, and that was to believe that there was an eternal God that made me, an intelligent being that made me intelligent beings. Um, So I abandoned evolution, and I... Started being a Bible believer. I started reading God's word as I was attending the church. Um, About and, how
0: long was it from when you first walked in to when you really came to Christ?
1: It was roughly six to eight weeks.
0: Yeah, it went pretty quick as I recall.
1: But once uh, in the latter part, probably the sixth or seventh week, I had read that book and I picked up a gospel track in the back of the church. It was called God's Simple Plan of Salvation by Dr. uh, Ford Porter. Porter. Yep, And uh, in the quietness of my bedroom uh, one night, I read that gospel track, and the first thing it said, friend, do you know if you were to die today if you go to heaven? And already God had uh, brought conviction into my heart. I knew I was an unbeliever. I knew I was lost. I knew I needed a Savior. And there was a little simple prayer at the end of that track where I, I I prayed and trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, believing he died for my sins, was buried, and rose again. And uh, that was uh, a defining moment in my life when I made that choice. And then I'll never forget, um, the following Sunday, I attended the church, and Pastor, Pastor James Standridge from Cook Road Baptist Church is the guest speaker. That's my
0: pastor I got saved under. We called him our grand pastor at Temple in those days.
1: And you came up to the pulpit. You welcomed everybody, and, he, and you introduced Pastor Standridge. He says, but before he comes, does anybody have a blessing to share? And I raised my hand, and I stood up, and I said, yeah, I want to I tell you that I made um, a choice. I made a decision today to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I thanked everybody for praying for me. And then I sat down. And uh, so I I gave a profession of faith without even an altar call.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He jumped a gun on us a little bit. We tried to save that to the end, but he couldn't hold back. That was a a grand moment. Well, God had a whole bunch up his sleeve uh, for that young Italian man who came to faith in Christ. What a... Great conversion it was. God was doing huge things in our church. It's a small group of people, but God was doing big things uh, in our heart, uh, in our hearts. In those times, uh, God raised up three young men. Uh, that felt a calling into ministry, Uh, Pastor Larry, uh, Pastor John Horne. Of course, they were just John Horn in those days. Don McGrath, all those men went out and planted churches. Bill Blake was among them, uh, one of our early guys. I had this band of on-fire young men sold out to Jesus And so tell us a little bit, you're coming in and uh, God's working in your heart. You soon feel a calling. Just bring us into that, uh, transition us into that uh, calling and preparation for your ministry.
1: Well, before I went into the doors of that key bank, I saw John Horne. He was just a little tight back then. But I remember him well because his brother was my roommate in college when I went to the University of I Buffalo. I forgotten that connection. Yeah, yeah, it's all coming back to me now. You're going back 40 years, 43 yeah. years. And I so I got reacquainted with John. He, he actually, he came and visited me when I was there in Buffalo. They had uh, only four function calculators back then in engineering. He broke it. <laughs> and uh, I'll never for, I never forgave him, still haven't forgiven him for that. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but, no, John uh, – I was glad to see John. It was, and we was he
0: in the church when you came, or did he come soon after? It was I, about all pretty close together.
1: I think he might have been there a week before me. and came back. I think he was brought in by his brother John or yeah, Tom. Tom, Tom yeah. brought him in. Uh, but we got saved right around the same time, I believe, and we got baptized on the same day. We got see, sa- we got baptized that Easter Sunday of that year of ni- Easter Sunday of 1980s when we. We were baptized. We went down and
0: used the baptistry in the church in Cahos, if I recall. Heritage
1: Baptist Church in Cahos. Yep. Yep. So, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, we, uh, uh, I enjoyed attending the church and I, you know, my life uh, took on a brand new turn and uh, the Holy Spirit came inside to live in me and. Uh, He changed my desires, um, and he also changed the people that I affiliated myself with. I realized if I wanted to get to know God in a very, very personable way, that I needed to remove myself from all worldly influences, and that affected some relationships that I had. Um, I just tried the ones that I needed to avoid. I wanted to win to Christ, Uh, but that was an arduous task. And And when you
0: start witnessing to them, they kind of go away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But my, my real goal was really to get to know God's word and also to win people that I loved that were unsaved, family members, friends. Uh, and that was a real, <laughs> I recognized, that was a huge uphill battle. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but, you know, this whole idea of knowing the Lord and being used of God was important to me. And as I did, actually, uh, you began teaching a basic Bible course and I think, and used to go door to door. So I asked you if I could go out with you and I began doing that. And uh, as straight
0: up in your face, evangelism, uh, (laughs) trying to be nice about it, but we didn't sit back and wait for them to come. We went after them.
1: And I remember going on visitation with you at the Turf Mobile Park yeah. shortly after I was saved. And I didn't know John 3.16, and you said, Larry, tell this lady how you got saved. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, God just gave me the words to share. But it was interesting that we, I shared my testimony that, that Saturday, and uh, she came to church not Sunday morning, but Sunday night, didn't she walk the aisle and get saved that Sunday evening I don't yeah. know if you ever remember that but uh, her name was Gail I do remember yeah um, but uh, but that was like uh, priming the pump for me spiritually speaking and uh, yeah, you share the
0: gospel people might just get saved <laughs> <laughs> we were doing that a lot in those days weren't we we
1: were and you know I was I felt like I was just on the learning curve then and I'm still on the learning curve today <laughs> Um, but I think that my, in terms of my call into the ministry, um, it was just my getting it established in the Word of God, and and also memorizing Scripture and holding them dear to my heart. Uh, but in 1980, um, I needed to go on. It was time to take a vacation, and in the past, I would go to all the wrong places, like Wildwood, New Jersey, and all the things that would cause me to be tempted to fall into sin, and I asked you, Pastor Duke, um, I don't know where to go on vacation. Where do you think, What do you, you have any ideas? He said, well, I'm speaking at a missionary conference in my home church at Cook Road Baptist Church. He said, why don't you come there for vacation? I said, what? <laughs> I, I mean, I said, what's a missions conference? And he tried to explain it to me. Still didn't fully comprehend it, but what was kind of neat how God worked it out, is I was reading Christian biographies and I was reading about the life of D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey, Charles Spurgeon, David Brainerd, um, William Carey, and I was reading these biographies and and these people were like in a different orbit than I was in. They were totally surrendered to the Lord, but I saw how God used them in a very powerful way. Charles Finney, Um, so, and I'm reading these books just before I came to the missionary conference because you had those in the library. And when I got to that missionary conference back in 1980, uh, Cook Road Baptist Church, I began to hear these slate of missionaries speak, um, G Christian Weiss from back to the Bible broadcast, um. Dr. Don Sisk, who is the director of BIMI and a number of other great men. And that's where the Holy Spirit really got a, really got a hold of my heart. And I believe began to tug at my heart at total surrender. Even, even if it meant selling, getting out of the business that I was established in. And, um, being either like a missionary or a pastor, whatever that might be, but full time Christian ministry. Uh, when I left, the, by the way, it was at that missionary conference I met Marianne, mm-hmm. and I'll will I'll turn it over to you on that on how you. <sighs> Well, you guys met at that missionary conference,
0: and Mary Ann was uh, one of the faithful teenagers at the church, struggling in all life's things as a 16-, 15-, 16-year-old girl. When I walked in 1972 and when I got saved at Cook Road Baptist, Mansfield, Ohio, Mary Ann was a faithful teenager. Her older brother, George, became one of my best friends. We had this amazing youth group that rose up that's a whole nother podcast, what was going on there. And God was getting hold of hearts, and uh, she was a very attractive young woman by this time. And so uh, Larry uh, was single and uh, had to find a woman. And I remember he invited us to his home, uh, his apartment. Joanne and I went down so I could watch a Cleveland Browns football playoff game. They actually made the playoffs that year. It was a total miracle. And my wife looked inside Larry's refrigerator. (laughs) She came straight to me and said, we got to find a woman for this guy. So we, through the years, we have hooked a lot of people up. And this was one of the first. And so you meet Marianne there at the conference and then uh, you come home and life continues. And so what's the next step here? I know that (laughs) we went, we took you to New York or from New York to Ohio, Ohio what the, the following year or was it all happening in that same year it,
1: that was it was not, October of 1980 was the conference that's where you, you introduced Joellen oh, okay. I think Joellen introduced yeah. me to Marianne and we 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 began well to let
0: me tell you, we were working behind the scenes to set this up I just getting the year mixed up here but uh, Joanne was on, on mission to get you a woman. Okay. And uh, we had known Marianne and uh, she was sold out to Jesus. And uh, so Joanne set it up. We talked to her ahead of time. We're bringing this guy. He's single. He needs to find a woman and we've picked you. We want you to go out with him. And uh, she was shy and kind of overwhelmed, but interested, but really outside of her comfort zone. So Joellen was going for the juggler. And when we got there, Marianne is kind of trying to pull back, and Joellen is not really that aggressive of a person, but she was there. She grabbed Marianne by the shoulder and said, Look, this guy just came 550 miles to meet you. You're going out with him. So now you can pick up the story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I remember correctly, we went to her brother's house uh, for one one evening. You were in Joellen over there. And I tagged along, and I got to talk to her a lot. As a matter of fact, after that, I think they just had popcorn and coffee or something at her house. And afterwards, I drove her home. I think we—I was in her driveway talking to her till like one, two o'clock in the morning. Yes, and, we, and Joanna was fasting and praying. Lord, do something, <laughs> do something. And yeah. He was. And you know, I just could see that from her that she had a heart for God, wanted to know the will of God for her life. Um, we come. We have different reference points. She was saved when she was like five years of age, and I—I'd say I was 27 years old, and still, in my first year, I have not even completed one year of Christianity, you know. And I thought this girl knows so much more about the Bible and about the Lord than I do. But I think she saw that I had a tenderness towards the Lord, and I was teachable, and I wanted to really do the will of God. And I think that was. The greatest attraction for her towards me, you know, so anyway, that conference ended. I started, uh, I wrote her a letter. I believe it was, I wrote her a Christmas card and it was a nice letter. She never wrote me back. It was, (laughs) there was no response. So I thought maybe this is rejection, you know? Um, but in the interim, I didn't really, I was still had an interest in her. And so now that's 1980. 1981 hits, it's time to take another vacation. And I, I chose to go back to Mansfield, Ohio, to Cook Road Baptist Church to visit that church again. Did you stay with my sister on the second trip out? No. The second trip I stayed in the missionary apartment at, at the Cook church. Road. Yep, yep.
0: Yeah, the first time it was with your sister. I think Pastor Standard was glad to have you in. He recognized God was doing things in your heart, and I think he was pretty happy about you connecting with Marianne, too, as I recall.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, he was he's missed. I love that man to death, and he was a great guy. But when I went back the following July, I got reacquainted with Marianne, and she had not hooked up with any guy, So, and I had not hooked up to any women. So I con- pursued my potential relationship with her. And for two weeks I was there and I took her out and things started, sparks began to fly. We got, we started getting closer. And uh, then when I departed to go back to Albany, we arranged it so that she, I would, I was, I said, would you like to come to the Capitol district sometime? And she said, well, I have to ask my mother. And her mother said, yeah, you can go as long as he comes and gets you. So that was September. So I drove from that September. I drove to Mansfield, Ohio, which is about an eight and a half hour drive to get her. Then I took her back and she stayed with you and Joellen.
0: For I think almost two weeks, wasn't it? About two weeks. That's. The, I think that's the time when she stole my daughter Leah's bagel. We've been harassing her about that. It was so funny. Yeah. Leah's about just a three years old or four and
1: i think leah just forgave her that just
0: recently yeah after all these years
1: (laughs) marianne ate my bagel
0: (laughs) she'll hear that for eternity i remember when marianne was staying with us during that time i pulled her aside and i said look god's got his hand on larry he's going to be in ministry i don't know if you were totally sure of that yet but i could tell and i just said that that uh you need to prepare yourself for the work of ministry. It's 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 going to be in your future. And she was kind of taken back by that, and because I don't think you were even sure about it uh, yet. But I could see God moving that way, so I warned her about it. And uh, it was it was a sacred moment that that we, her and I, and Joellen will never forget. So yeah, we have. Uh, We were deeply uh, connected with this uh, romance that was going on.
1: (laughs) Pick up the story there, Pastor Larry. Well, uh, those two weeks were very eventful. We had a fantastic time getting to know each other better. And I remember driving her down to New York City the first time she's ever been there. And we got lost in Manhattan, and I didn't know what I was doing. That was before the days of GPS (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we kind of got lost together and we had fun and uh but that was uh that was a wonderful two weeks and that was uh, god began to solidify in my heart that this could be very much the one and fortunately he was doing the same thing in her heart so i had to drive her back to to, to mansfield back in september and then I was calling her every week. And back then, the calls, the long-distance calls were expensive. So it was just once a week, we'd call one another. Uh, but faithfully, every week, I would call her. Uh, then we made, I made arrangements. She said, why don't you come here for Christmas? So I chose to do that, I was go- and I was going to fly out, and I was going to pop the big question But we really hadn't had a lot of time together, you know. But we both loved the Lord, and we both wanted God's will. We both had an attraction to each other. But I really prayed and felt this was the Lord's will. And if it wasn't the Lord's will, I was going to accept a rejection, believing that God had something else for me. But I flew in on December 26th of 1981, and I remember that evening, popping the big question, and when she accepted, um, she made my life. <laughs>
0: we had fifty people back at Temple Baptist praying like crazy <laughs> that this would be a yes, and our prayers were answered.
1: Amen. You know, I think one of the reluctance she might have had is she did not want to be a pastor's wife. She didn't I know she heard your words of he might be he may be going into the ministry. That wasn't uh, confirmed at that point, but I said I was open to it. Um, and uh, that didn't come till after we were married. but, but I she, warned her ahead of time, and then and I'm she, glad I did. And you know and, and even after God called me to preach and God made that clear to me, I'll, I'll never forget. Once we were married, you asked me to lead the singles class. So the two of us did that. And I still felt this burden to, into the ministry, call into the ministry. But reading a book by uh, uh, the biography of D.L. Moody, he says, if you want to confirm your full call, he said, and you want to go somewhere to begin something for God, he says, make sure you're doing it where you're at. And yes, uh amen, amen, amen. He said, "Make sure you're doing it right where you're in the ministry you're in right now." So, and I, I remember uh, getting home from work and going out into Mechanicville and going door to door by myself, just knocking on doors and witnessing to people, and and then I began to see people come to Christ, even within our own Sunday school class, and discipling those people, and. That that firmed the call of God in my life.
0: That Sunday school class had God's hand all over it. Through you and Marianne, you were learning to dis, not only to win people to Christ by a you know outward aggressive evangelism, going and witnessing to people, not just waiting for them for come to you. And then when they came to church, you got attached to them. We learned that from Pastor Standridge: attraction and attachment. And you guys were doing that just in a natural way. Your home was open. You had people in. Uh, you were getting connected. That class was growing. Um, uh, out of that class came our first uh, full-time Christian servant. You had invited. Tell us about, real, just real quick, uh, throw this in. Uh, you invited somebody out for friend day. Mm-hmm.
1: Kathy Bolka.
0: Kathy Zimmerman at the time. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Just real quick, tell that story, that we'll fit it Go back to the broader story and we're going to make this into two podcasts not just one so this is in, this is great stuff just continue on and we'll do a ministry follow-up but uh tell us the kathy zimmerman story because she would be the first person that goes out of archer full-time into ministry and is one of our lifelong friends to this day
1: yeah, my parents had a three unit house that they lived in they lived upstairs and the uh there was a basement apartment kathy lived in and she had lived there for years. Was good friends with my sister Roberta, and when we had a special day, I, I think it was friend, friend day, day. Yeah, I invited Kathy and my sister to come. The both of them came, uh, and uh, my sister never came back, but Kathy continued to come back. I went down to visit Kathy because I thought maybe this could be my first convert. <laughs> <laughs> So I tried to lead her to the Lord, but I found it out and realized that she had already accepted Jesus as her Savior. But she had the spirit, spiritual momentum going in her spirit and her desire to follow the Lord. And so she kept on coming to to Temple Baptist Church.
0: I remember my daughter Leah won her heart. Leah's about two years old, and she fell in love with Leah.
1: Amen. And, and she was faithful. And Kathy, wow, what a, what a servant of God she became. And then, and then of course, uh, she met... Dave Bulka, this single pastor from New Jersey. That was another
0: Duke and Joellen hookup. <laughs> we were on a roll. Hook up the De Novos, Hook up the Bulkas. Yeah. So. Those,
1: and though uh, and Dave, uh, you know, Dave and you are two of my f- closest friends that To this day, he's a great guy, great man of God, and that it's a wonderful thing how the Lord unfolded that for us. So
0: Larry brings Kathy to church, and Kathy ultimately met Dave at our house, and uh, that's a whole nother story. Dave, I've interviewed him on other podcasts, so some of our podcast family's familiar with Dave, and they don't know maybe that part of the story, but Larry's the one that brought Dave's wife into our church, and uh, she was the first one to go full-time out of our church into ministry as, as Pastor Dave Balka's wife there in North Jersey, It kind of a extension of the new york city area so you have you teaching the class here and and god was just doing huge things in the class so just kind of how is things uh, happening in your heart towards ministry i mean you're in the trenches training you're in the bible institute that i'm teaching in our in our church uh, just taking my bible college class uh, notes and teaching them to these group of i don't know maybe a big class would be 10 people and a, a regular class would be maybe four or five people but man, God was in it. So you're in the trenches teaching a class, just pick up from there.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was all preparation. I didn't know how I was going to be able to go into full-time ministry while I still had a business, a family business that I just couldn't just walk out of. And I explained that to you, Pastor Duke, and uh, you. that's shortly afterwards, you you started the Bible Institute, and uh, used, I think you did it single-handedly t- to begin with, and then you had other pastors to join in. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was a marvelous experience for for me, and uh, that was, um, you know, I remember all the theology courses and the personal evangelism and uh, the pastoral theology courses. That was uh, that was pivotal in us in, in me launching out. Not, but not at the same time. While we were, I was taking Bible Institute classes. You also raised the bar of my responsibility in a local church, where I became a board member. I was a deacon, and uh,
0: we called you guys deacons in those days. But in actuality, you were an elder. We didn't; I had my terms mixed up. But you were on our church board. You were elected as an elder, and uh, so. I I knew God was working in your heart. You were going to go out one day. So I wanted you to be in the loop of everything that is local church, from just sitting there learning, grabbing books off the back shelf, to uh, teaching a class, coming onto the church board. And uh, we had a, our second building program coming up Uh and I dumped all that on you because you, you knew how to read. <laughs> Larry knows how to read. Maybe he can lead the next building program. Mm-hmm. And and you did, and you did an excellent job. But you had such a credibility about you, even, to, I mean, to this day. But it, you were a young man among us, but you were a successful businessman. And you had a credibility and a steadfastness that even some of the, you were the, uh, the youngest man on our board, I'm sure by far, except for me. I think you and I were the two youngest guys on the board. But here you are, rising up. and uh, But
1: you were younger than me. By what, a year? <laughs> and you call me your preacher boy. That's true.
0: <laughs> yes, I got off to an early start forming preacher boys. <laughs> that boy that God was doing stuff. That little church house that we had was growing, and we, we built the first building, and it was filling up. We're getting ready to do the next building, and Larry's teaching this single adult class, and and, and God's calling uh, people getting saved in that class. And, and young men are surrendering to the ministry in that class. And churches are going to be born out of that class. And that's just, that's just the work of, I mean, you, you read the book of Acts and see how this thing was exploding. Same thing was happening in your class. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm still excited about it.
1: <laughs> well, there was definitely a wave of God in that church back then. Oh, my know? goodness. It, there really was, and uh, God's still using many, many, many of these people today, and I praise the Lord for that. I give Him the glory for it. So you're you're serving
0: in the local church. You're in the local church Bible Institute. Uh, you've you've really learned by experience discipleship. You've learned by experience evangelism and uh, I taught you the basic Bible course, and you you just kind of were a minister. You And I had you fill the pulpit uh, for me, and you were getting preaching experience. Uh, you were an avid reader running a business, uh, and yet it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. God was calling you. And so maybe talk about how that, okay, I'm here and God's using me, but He's drawing me to something different to actually, I think maybe you could see if God could build a church through Duke, maybe he could do it through me.
1: I didn't know whole, how all that was going to flesh out by the Lord. And what uh, he does. And I didn't know, I just knew he was calling me to preach. I didn't know where. And I would pray often to God, Lord, I'm not smart enough to know where I'm to go. And I said, would you please work through Pastor Duke to show me where I should go? And I remember at um, one of the Bible Institute classes, I had called you earlier. I said, is there any way we might be able to meet after class? I don't know if you remember that I do. meeting. I do. But I, I said, listen, um, you know, we're almost done with the Bible Institute. And I think it's—I I'm, I'm going to be selling my business. I don't exactly know where God's calling me. We, where do you think there's a need? Where do you think God might want to call me? Do you have any ideas? Because uh, I was just praying the Holy Spirit would resonate in my spirit some suggestions that you would make. And you talked about East Greenbush, and you talked about, um, and then you talked about Westmere and Gildelin. And when those two names came up, it's like God confirmed it in my heart, that's where I want you to go. I can't. And it,
0: Wait, let me interject here. This is so cool because I sat down in June of 1978 when I did my survey trip to New York and came first to the Albany area. And then I was going to go to Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo, and home somewhere along the line. I sat in a uh, little diner with uh, Pastor Richard Worsham, who became a great friend, and his wife Pat is a close friend today. Um, and I said, I want to go to a young, growing suburban community, and, and where there's no church, and, and try to win people to Christ to build a church in that type of a community. He pulled out the big map of the Capital District. He circled. <laughs> he circled uh, three towns: Clifton Park, Half Moon, where we ultimately went, East Greenbush. And that Westmere, uh, Gilderland area. Mm. He, he made three circles on that map. And God took us to the Clifton Park Half Moon Circle and where we've spent the last 44 years of our life. And now here it is uh, probably, what year is it now when you're, we had this talk?
1: That was Nineteen
0: eighty-six or eighty-seven. So we're about eight or nine years after the breakfast with uh, Pastor Worsham, and that second circle, mm. God puts that on your heart. Mm-hmm. I I never thought of that till just now.
1: Well, when I felt that's where God was calling me, I would we would drive out there. Marianna would drive out there. We would walk the streets of Borisville mm-hmm. and Gildan and. I'd, <laughs> I'd strike up conversations with people, um, saying, you know, I, there's a good possibility I may be coming here to be a pastor, to start a church. But as time went on, the burden and the call became more confirmed in my heart to go to Guildland. And when, uh, I sold my business and I launched out, uh, the, the strategy was pretty simple. You know, uh, Find a place where you can meet, go door to door, uh, and win people, disciple people, baptize them, and groom them. And that's essentially how we began our work. And actually, that's the the basic strategy we used for the entire time I was there. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I'm out of the ministry. I'm out of the pastor today, but I still do that. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, That's who we are. It's what we do.
1: It's part of my DNA yeah. Uh, my spiritual DNA. And when we first started, I remember my Aunt Kate. You remember my Aunt Kate? I remember
0: Aunt Kate. Big, sloppy, wet kisses, Kate. <laughs> loved Jesus, loved, loved you, loved me, just met me, but I'm her brother in Christ. She, uh, yeah, well, great. Well, the Italian part of this
1: story, I, we don't have time to <laughs> go
0: into that, but
1: it's sacred
0: to me. Uh,
1: that um, Our ministry began with her. And we, I would go over to her house, and she would have us for dinner. And then I talked to, she loved the the Lord Jesus. She shared how she came to Jesus. And I told her what what I was doing, and she supported me 100%, although she was still Roman Catholic, but she really couldn't get around. She was too old to go anywhere. But she would visit our church. She would visit our church when, uh, when she could get there. But we started, I began teaching the basic Bible course that I learned through you, and I went through all those lessons. We had people, we had her, she, she had her older friends over, of course. She was this sanguine, lovable lady. Bigger than life. Uh, she was. And, uh, the, but I remember teaching those studies over there, cutting my teeth over at Aunt Kate's in the ministry.
0: You know, we had helped start a church in Johnsonville. We broke away 22 people when we only had about 75 people and help uh, launch a church there. And then uh, Pastor John Horn went out to it and we broke away another, I think, 22, 24 people because they were in that region. And so let's just started a church. But with you, we didn't really have people in that region, so you were kind of starting from nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. It was me, Marianne, and my newborn baby, Jocelyn. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which we're going to circle around to that here, okay, in the last... Uh, 10 minutes because we're going to come back and, and, and do a, a deeper dive into some things, but let's uh, jump in into that right now. Cause this is part of this just crazy God story that, that Larry and I uh, God intersected us way back in 1980. And then part of the story of him finding a woman, which is sacred to Joellen and I, and we are lifelong friends. I think our wives are out on a walk together even now as we speak, but, uh, so, just we'll come back and develop this more in another podcast the, the, the church launch uh, and uh, blending together with another church that was uh, struggling together. And then ultimately, it became Berean Baptist Church. And uh, God uh, built a great church through Pastor Larry and Marianne from the humblest of beginnings. But God had something else up his sleeve that was pretty cool. Uh, you're a couple years into your marriage. Uh, when was Jocelyn born? October 7th, 1987. 1987 in October. Well, back on August 29th of that same year, <laughs> we had our little boy, the little Duke Meister. <laughs> we had a little baby boy after all those years. I had two girls, and finally, God gave me my boy. And Larry and, me had Mary, <laughs> Larry and Marianne had a little girl named Jocelyn. And uh, they were dedicated side by side at the altar of Temple Baptist Church uh, when they were probably, I don't know, two, three months old. That's all. Normally we'd have 10, 15 babies, but that day it was just two, the De Novos and the Hergids. So I'm trying to like dedicate my baby and be the moderator of the meeting all at the same time. I don't know how that all worked out, but here's Duke and Jocelyn, little babies side by side. In the same nursery together. And then it's about a year or two after that, you went out into ministry. Mm-hmm. So they're growing up in parallel
1: universes. That was concurrent when I was, that was happening. I, I was still at Temple Baptist Church in the mornings, but we remember we have, we got the, um, we were able to rent the St. Mark's Community Center in Gildaland. So we were holding Sunday night services, but that was really it, things really began right around the time she was born, right afterwards. And then in 1988, we did kind of an official launch.
0: Mm-hmm. So. so here's uh, their beautiful little Italian daughter and my little Hungarian boy <laughs> toddling together in the in the same nursery. And then you guys launched out and birthed your church. And we continue on at, at Temple all through those years. And uh, our kids would go to these, uh, there'd be a big Word of Life rally and all the kids would go, and and they would kind of. And Duke and Jocelyn saw each other, you know, two or three times along the the way. We do something together as families, and they'd see each other. And she was really shy, and he was really shy, and they didn't really connect. But they they knew of one another, and then uh, through. Through the years in ministry, uh, Larry, you and I would get together for breakfast, I don't know, three, four, five times a year, and we'd always update what's going on with the kids, how's Jocelyn doing, and what's up with little Duke. And uh, throw in a couple thoughts here. We're going to wrap up this in about the next uh, seven or eight minutes with our kids' romance because God had something up his sleeve. (laughs) Jump in and start telling your side of the story.
1: Well, I do clearly remember during those breakfast meetings we had, we tried to strategize. Yes, we did.
0: <laughs> Unashamedly and embarrassingly towards our, our kids were unsure about this.
1: Yeah, and uh, we we wanted to connect them somehow. And uh, we thought, uh, we, actually, we, were, we didn't want to push the envelope too hard. And I didn't really know Dookie. Your Duke, the Duke, little Duke Meister, real well. They call him Dookie. Dookie. <laughs> but I knew my daughter well. And, you know, both of them had past relationships they had to heal from, and we needed to give them time. God didn't need time to heal that. But, uh, yeah, I'll never forget uh, the, the whole thing began, the, the, the whole. Uh, explosion took place was at my mom, mom's uh, funeral yeah
0: now just prior to that you and I had, had a breakfast and I asked you to give me her number that's and true. and you did I took that number and I gave it to Duke and he said she's not my type of girl dad I said you are an idiot and he now agrees with me <laughs> <laughs> so we were we were conniving now pick up with your mother's uh your mother's funeral
1: Well, after the funeral, we had a little reception um, at some place. I forget. Wilfer's Roost is where it was. And uh, Duke was there. Sitting at the same table with Jocelyn. Sitting at the same table with Jocelyn and Lorraine Spooner. Uh, Lorraine
0: had been a member of our church and then had moved and was a member down to Gilderland, was a member of your church. And then she was back at our church and back and forth as they moved. She was an insider at Berean, an insider at our church. She knew everybody.
1: Well, I wasn't there at that table. I was working the crowd, but my wife, Marianne, was there. And I was there. And the two of you tandem together. The two of you tandem together. This is true. Uh, I had nothing to do with that. So you better take it, pick it up from here.
0: Okay. But you did have something to do with it because you gave me your number. (laughs) So I said across, uh, I'm sitting right next to Jocelyn at the table and I said, Jocelyn, I want you to meet my son. He's gone through a hard time. Your dad has always kept me up. What's going on in your life? You've been through some stuff. He's been through some stuff. He's a great kid. I know you're a great gal. I want you to meet my son. These are her words. And she was so embarrassed and so shy, but she was interested. They had had a class together at Hudson Valley, a community college, and they saw one another, and she's drop-dead gorgeous, and my son took notice of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think she was a little bit attracted to him as well, and uh, physically anyway. And then we, our families, we were cut out of the same cloth, and so we know there's a, we have the same DNA spiritually. And I said, I want you to meet my son. She goes, oh, you just want me to come to your church and hit on the pastor's son? I said, yes, that is exactly what I want you to do. And she was, I could tell she was interested, but she was it was way outside of her comfort zone. And Lorraine, the perfect person, the only person on the planet that knows your family well, my family well, knows both churches. And Lorraine, under Marianne's pressure, said, Jocelyn, I'll pick you up and take you to temple uh, Sunday morning. And your, uh, Marianne said, we're not taking no for an answer. You're going to do it. We ganged up on her. And uh, she was interested, but I didn't know if she'd come or not. So I went home and told Duke. And uh, we had a wonderful day there at the, at the thing, but we, I did everything we could to set the thing up. So I went home and told Duke. I said, there's a 50-50 chance Jocelyn De Novo is coming to church Sunday morning to meet you. And he was excited and he was scared and he didn't really know what to say. So Sunday came and I'm watching, and we had a little five minute countdown on our screen to start the service. And I'm watching, I'm watching, and it's in one minute, 38 seconds to go. It's locked in my mind forever. Here comes Jocelyn coming into service. And uh, and I grabbed her, and Lorraine said, hey, we're all going to go out for lunch together. I got a date for my son. We're going <laughs> I want to take you for lunch together. So I had got him a date. I ran down the aisle, said, come sit in the front row, my family, Rachel, Joana, into deaf ministry, sign language. Duke always sits up front and sit there. So I ran down the aisle, and Duke says, Dad, you embarrassed me. You you just said, Duker, Duker, she's here, she's here. (laughs) I was so excited. And they came down, and they were so uncomfortable, but they sat next to one another, and it it was so awkward for them. And then we sang a song, and then we had a little, maybe a minute and a half greeting time, and they greeted one another. And they tuned everybody else out, and the ice broke. And after church, uh, we did go out to Panera's, and there was about 10 of us at the table. We put Duke and Jocelyn at the end on purpose. And uh, we got our food. And then we had a prayer. And then we literally physically turned our backs on them. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of leave them off to the end of the table all by themselves. And I was praying. We were all praying, Lord, do something in their heart. Do something in their heart. <laughs> and he was. He was. And uh,
1: uh, don't, don't forget this part. You kept... You made sure that Rachel was on the opposite side of them. My daughter's just like, why was that? She
0: talks too much. She's as bad (laughs) as me. We kept them apart, put Rachel far as way we could and just, and they were connecting. So we were there like an hour and a half and they were connecting and uh, they shared uh, their phone numbers with each other. And on the way out, we're all huggy people and Lorraine, she's hugging us all. We hug our daughters and Rachel and Scotty, everybody and Duke hugged everybody. And then it was Jocelyn. What do I do? Jocelyn said, he hugged everybody except me. He just shook my hand. (laughs) (laughs) But he, the sparks had begun for him. And uh, they traded numbers and began texting. And I think it was the next morning he called you. Yes. Pick up. We got about two minutes to wrap, two, three minutes to wrap this. He calls you.
1: Yeah, he calls me and he said, can I get together with you? And I said, Sure. So we scheduled an appointment to meet at 76 Diner at 8.30 one morning. I forget, maybe a Friday. But anyway, uh, I'm there. Uh, I'm inside. He's still waiting out in his car. I said, is this guy coming? He says, I've been here since a quarter after 8. And I says, well, I'm inside. Come on in. So he comes in, and we we sat down and talked. And he just asked me some pertinent questions about Jocelyn and – and uh I answered the questions he had. I said I think, you know, um, you know, I told him that she's a hard worker. I told him that uh she's good with money, you know, and these are and does he says do you think she might want to move out of the area because he wanted to start a business there and I said I don't know. I don't think so. But that was the uh that was the genesis. Uh, and, no, actually the meeting you had with her with them was a genesis, but this was this, this st-
0: is the Exodus. This uh, is the next step.
1: <laughs> this is the segue, yeah. you know, into the relationship, you know, and then he yeah. began to pursue her. After that,
0: he kind of asked your permission. Is that correct? Uh,
1: he did. He pers- he asked my permission to to date her and to to, uh, to pursue her, and I gave him the green light. And uh, and it was funny is that his communication primarily with her was texting, and then uh, and you got wind of that. They
0: were texting, 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 and he was afraid of rejection, and it was like a month in, and Kathy Boca uh, got <laughs> wind of this because they were praying, throwing ga- praying gasoline on these sparks, and Kathy called me, when's he going to call her? She, and so I, I got to Duke. He came home from work that night, and I said, Duke, when are you going to call Jocelyn? I got word. You need to call her now. Stop this texting thing. Take it to the next level. He grabs me by the shoulder. He says, "Dad, are you sure?" I said, "I'm positive." Call her. I said, "If you don't call her uh, uh, tonight, uh, you're going to be you're going to be homeless by midnight." <laughs> he didn't know if I was kidding or not. I didn't know if I was kidding or not. So he had dinner. He was so nervous, and he went upstairs at six thirty, and he called her. Mm. He comes downstairs at nine thirty with the biggest smile on his face. It is game on, baby. And then um, the next step, they, they're they talking all the time. And she was going to come back to the capital region, I think, in May or June. And this is like, what, February now? Mm-hmm. And she kind of worked it out that she could come back sooner rather than later. And Duke went down with you guys to help bring her back. And I don't think she knew he was coming. He was surprising her. Now, they'd never really had a date. They had lunch together at Panera's with us, and he shook her hand. He texted for a month, talked to her all the time. And uh, so he shows up with you guys, knocks on the door. Her roommates are there, and he's standing there, and she introduced him to her roommates. This is Duke, my
1: boyfriend. 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 Uh,
0: (laughs) That lit up his day. And so uh, God took your uh, little girl and my little boy dedicated at the altar
1: together. Um, But let me just insert something, because I was an eyewitness for this. It was no longer a handshake. Yes, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) It was even greater than a warm embrace.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's game, game on. And, uh, And we have to wrap up this podcast. What a God story, how he would take... This young business, Italian uh, young man from Albany, New York, Catholic altar boy, get him saved and hook him up with a woman in Ohio from our home church and then dedicating our kids together. And then the, then they wind up getting married. And, uh, and today we share three grandchildren together and one grandchild in heaven. We'll do another podcast and tell you so much more. This is way bigger story than we can get into one podcast. But, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm we had no clue back in 1980 when you walked into the basement of the bank (laughs) and
1: said, I want to find out what happened to Doug Miller. So a final thought. Well, I'm just in awe of what God's done over the, over our time. And, and I'm excited about what God's going to do going forward. You know, I really being the fact that you're moving down to South Carolina and being here with us and, uh, beginning a brand new life down here. I'm excited to do it with you.
0: yep we've been hooked at the hip for all these years and uh our kids moved down here and the de novos moved down here and we got a lot about uh, about 350 feet away from where we're sitting right now doing this podcast and we may be building and might be your neighbor and uh, we might be your greatest nightmare <laughs> <laughs> hey podcast family thanks for tuning in this is just sharing our heart our life our story god wrote it Didn't he write a great story? Amen. So uh, thanks for tuning us in. Uh, Like, subscribe, share, all that kind of stuff. Help us get this message out. But hope this was fun for you. Hope it was a blessing. God bless you. See you next time. Bye-bye for now.